Why did Russia invade Ukraine? Why? It's on everybody's minds. We'd, we'd like to know. Some people say it's so bizarre. It's so evil. It's beyond the pale. It's unfathomable. We can't know. But we want to know. And, and the book of Proverbs does say that the curse causeless shall not come. I was in Russia just before Christmas. I was in St. Petersburg. I was in Moscow. I met with our, our missionaries there. These are Russian nationals. Some of them have been in this church. I talked with them because it looked, I mean, all the troops were arrayed on the border. It, it looked like an invasion was going to happen. But nonetheless, on their media, everyone I talked to, every pastor, every church member, every person on the street all said the same thing. There will be no war. This is a ploy. This is, this is some kind of a tactic for negotiating. But Russia will not invade. But they did. And so, there's just something in us that has to ask why. And I, I don't have a quarrel with those who say, don't even try. We, we cannot know. May, only God knows, and I can't quarrel with that. But in this message, I want to give you a reason. In fact, reasons why Russia invaded Ukraine. And there are reasons, I believe, and there's a reason underlying it all. And so, in this message, we want to look at the reasons and the reason. And we also want to say what we can do about it. I know it's tempting to say, oh, we can't do anything. You know, we're, it is what it is. There's nothing we can do. Friends, there is something we can do. If you bear with me to the end of this message, I'll share with you what we can do. But first, I want to paint a picture to you of how evil the authoritarian communist rule is upon people. You can see why the Ukrainians are going to fight to the death. They, they know this system. They don't want it. And I'll give you just a couple examples that shows you how, how hard and difficult it is to live under that kind of re regime. My, my father got out of the Soviet Union from Ukraine. Uh, during the Cold War, uh, just when the Second World War, well, actually it was during the Second World War, just when it was heating up, and, and he landed in South America, in Argentina, uh, as did four million other people from the Soviet Union ended up in South America. A lot ended up in the United States and Canada, but four million ended up in Argentina. My father wasn't saved until he was uh, in his 20s, and he went into a business school in Buenos Aires. This was the capital. And that country is an impoverished country, and the communist doctrine sounded appealing. It sounded good. I mean, distribute the wealth. Oh, we'll all be the same. Wonderful. 
And so as the propaganda was filtering through the universities, and my father was studying there in this business school, uh, there were a couple brothers who bought into it. They said, yeah, that's right. That's the place to be, the Soviet Union. That's the place to be. And uh, they realized that they would have to give up their personal freedoms. They realized they could they do that, but they thought they were. We won't be able to say what we think. We'll be restricted. But we'll have guaranteed income, a guaranteed job, free health care. You know, it'd be worth it. One was married, had children. The other one was single. So they decided on this plan that the unmarried one would go first. And he would live there for a while, and uh, he would communicate back to his married brother what the true conditions was, because they realized they couldn't write in a letter anything negative about the Soviet Union. So this was their code. And by the way, during, those, during the Cold War years, there were nearly 2,000 Americans that defected to the Soviet Union. So some people buy into the propaganda. But their code was simple. The, the brother, after he got a pretty good idea of what conditions were really like, he would send a letter back to Argentina to his married brother. And in the letter would be a picture. The letter would talk about how wonderful everything is. But the picture, that was the true communication. And he said, if I'm standing up in the picture, it means it's great, like we thought. Come with your family. If I'm sitting down, not good. So, months later, the letter came about how wonderful it was. The picture, too. And in the picture, the brother was laying down. <laughs> you remember Brother Peter. He's been in your church. He was in prison for over 18 years. And this is a wonderful book. It, you know, not many people survive 18 years in the gulag. But the first time Brother Peter was arrested, he and four other men from the church were charged with parasitism, being parasites for not having a job. The parasite law was actually adopted under Stalin uh, in 1936. But it, we really began to be enforced under Khrushchev in 1961. And that was what Brother Peter and these other four men were charged with. They were charged with not having work, being, you know, we know, they, everyone knew they were targeted for being Christians, for preaching the Word of God. But they were charged with parasitism. And the amazing thing was that out of those five, one was retired. The other four, now get this, they were arrested at work. <laughs> and they were convicted. That's the system then. And, and not all, Christians were not the only ones targeted. Millions suffered that weren't Christians. Brother Peter tells a story about his uncle. And, and at a certain point, he had an opportunity to go to Canada and work as a lumberjack. And it was an opportunity that was like for a year, a year and a half. And eventually he came back to the Soviet Union, had, you know, and... and and he returned, and he had to, of course. And, and uh, one day at work in the factory cafeteria, the food was never good there. <laughs> um, 
And by the way, during those times, the, the Soviet Union, the KGB had 30 million informants. 30 million! Just spying and telling on friends, workers, and everybody. So at work one day, they're eating there at the cafeteria, and somebody said, hey, Ivan! They're looking at their meal. <laughs> what was it like to eat in Canada? What was the food like? Tell us! Tell us! He said, oh, you wouldn't believe it? In the middle of a forest, we're cutting trees. In the middle of a forest, they'd fill these tables with food. Three kinds of meat! Fruit! Vegetables, bread, butter, milk, and he went on and on and on. That night, there's a knock at the door. It's the KGB. They said, you're under arrest for spreading anti-Soviet slander. You know that in our country nobody eats, that nobody in the world eats as well as they do in blessed motherland here. You've slandered the Soviet Union. That was serious. In fact, most of the people who were in prison were, were, were sentenced under that law, anti-Soviet slander. That's, there are a lot of different charges that they, they leveled against people, but that was the chief one. And uh, they had a public, they had a, a public defender system, uh, like we do in the United States. And so he had a public defender, an attorney that was appointed to represent him, and the attorney told him, What's the matter with you? You, you, you realize that this is punishable by death? He says, I, I don't know how to defend you. Did you say this? Did you talk about how good the food was in Canada? Yeah, I did. He said, there, there's, I, I, you're, you're, you're in trouble. He said, you, you got only one chance. Here's what you do. You write a profuse apology. Tell them how you went out of your mind that you know that nobody eats as well in the world as we eat here in the Soviet Union. That you're so sorry that you, you really, really went crazy in your moment, momentary insanity. You don't even know why you said this. Just something came over you. And just profusely apologize. He says, it's your only chance. So he wrote this profuse apology, just apologizing and apologizing and saying, no, it was all a lie. They don't, they don't eat good in Canada. His case went before the judge, and he was charged. He was, the, 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 the sentence was given, and it was death. It was death. And the, the attorney made a last-ditch effort, and he took this letter of apology and went over it before the judge and begged for this man's life. And the judge commuted the sentence from death to 15 years. He served all 15 years. Life, he went back, life went on, decades went by. And then after Stalin, it was Khrushchev, and then Brezhnev, and then Gorbachev. Andropov was there in between. And uh, there came this, this spirit of glasnost. And uh, they were, they they recognized how cruel Stalin was, and the government started a program they called the Rehabilitation of the Victims of Stalin's Terror. They admitted how many people were unjustly persecuted under Stalin. And they would read in the papers about some of these uh, victims getting monetary awards and cars and things like that. So, so uh, Brother Peter's uncle uh, wrote a letter to the prosecutor. And uh, he said, you know, 
I too was a victim of Stalin's terror. And I've heard that some of us are getting compensation. And I'm writing to see if I am entitled to any compensation. He got a letter back. And the letter said, no, you should have been executed. So he decided not to write any more letters. <laughs> Friends, uh, you see how the Ukrainians are fighting. That's why. They know, what, they know what would be in store for them under that kind of regime. And that's why Russians are leaving the country. They can see this tightening hand. Things are going to get, they're getting worse for the Russian citizens as well. They're trying to get out because of how awful it is. So why did Russia invade Ukraine? First of all, reason number one, there's a human factor in this. The Bible talks about the lust of the flesh. In 1 John 2, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. It's not of God, it's of the world. It's because of the sinful heart of, in, of evil man. And it's because of the sin of greed. There's Putin. He's got 11 time zones. Why does he want more? It's greed. It's the lust of the flesh. Why does Ukraine matter? Why, why, why would he do that? Friends, let me give you just some information about Ukraine that might explain a little bit why he's so greedy. Here's how the nation of Ukraine ranks in important categories. Ukraine is first in Europe in proven recoverable reserves of uranium ores. Second place in Europe and 10th place in the world in titanium ore reserves. Second place in the world in explored reserves of magnesium ores. Second largest in the world of iron ore. Second place in Europe in mercury ore. Third place in Europe and 13th place in the world in shale gas reserves. Fourth in the world in natural resources. Seventh in the world in coal reserves. In agriculture, first in Europe in terms of arable farmland. Third in the world in the area of black soil. Ukraine has 25% of the world's black soil. First in the world in the export of sunflower seeds and sunflower oil. Second in the world in barley product production. Third in the world of cor exporting corn. Fourth in potatoes. Fifth in rye. Fifth in bee production. Eighth in wheat exports. Ninth in chicken eggs. Sixteenth place in the world of cheese exports. The, the farmlands of Ukraine can feed over 600 million people. It's an industrialized nation. First in Europe in ammonia. Second in natural gas pipe systems. Third in terms of capacity of nuclear power. A third in uh, locators and locating equipment. Third in iron. I could go on and on and on. You can see that why Putin cast a greedy eye on their neighbor. So that's, I believe, is a human factor. There's a second reason, and that is a geopolitical factor. Many years ago, I read an article. It, it, it had to be more than 10 years ago. I, I wish I would have kept it. But now, I, I remember it so well. 
And I believe it was came out of a think tank called the Stratfor Institute that that has all kinds of papers and discussions and meetings about geopolitical situations. And the article, the author of this article, wrote out what would be the possibility and the circumstances that Russia would ever ever invade Ukraine. And what he said was that it could happen if. Russia or Putin decided that they could not compete with the world free market anymore. That they just couldn't. They just, just couldn't. And that they were just losing ground and going further and further into bankruptcy, which nobody would know because they don't, they don't publish real figures. And if that were to happen, the only hope that he might see would be to ditch democracy ditch the free market system, forget about trading the West with the West, and go back to the closed economic system they had in the Soviet Union. And back in those days, they had a closed economic system. Every refrigerator that, that anybody had was made, sold, and used in Russia. Every pair of socks, every pair of shoes, everything was made, shipped, consumed, within the Soviet Union. They didn't trade with the West. It was a closed system. It was not efficient. There are things there that they needed that they couldn't get, and that's why they allowed the black market to flourish. They couldn't exist without the black market. The other, the other, way, the other way they got by with such an inefficient system is that during the Soviet times, they, they allowed every family and even city dwellers to have a little plot of ground where they could make, have their own garden. Those gardens represented only 3% of their tillable land. Yet, they produced between 25 to 50% of their entire agricultural product. So this author went on to say that if he was going to try to go back to a closed economic system, it would be impossible without Ukraine. They would absolutely, 100%, need Ukraine. Otherwise, they could not return to a closed economic system. And uh, then he went on to say something that is now striking, just striking. He said if that were to happen, Ukraine would be cut in half. And there would be a new Berlin Wall. And that wall would be along the Dnieper River dividing Kiev from East and West. Remarkable. What, what, what are we seeing even now? And so uh, that is a geopolitical factor. But friends, uh, we need to look beyond these things that are earthly things. You know, it's true. You can see those. You can see, you can see why Putin wants Ukraine. Uh, Solomon said that the eye is not filled with seeing, neither the ear with hearing. To the richest man, the most... It's never enough. But beyond these human factors, I believe that there's a third reason that is the reason. There's a spiritual factor. 
And the Bible tells us to beware of Satan. In 2 Corinthians, we said, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. So we need to look beyond the physical warfare that we see on the news. And, and look at the spiritual warfare that is unseen. Ephesians 6, 12 tells us our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. It's the devil. It's Satan, who we're told is, is as a roaring lion, walking to and fro from the earth, seeking who he may devour. When the Soviet Union collapsed, that was a sad day for the devil because there was an open door to preach the gospel. And there was such a harvest of souls. Millions came to faith in Christ. And uh, amazingly, while this harvest of millions of souls occurred all over the Soviet Union, in no place... Was it as pronounced and profound as in Ukraine? I have a couple slides I want to show you that maybe give a little picture of this. If we could go to uh, this picture. Our ministry has planted, these are locations of the churches that we've planted since the Iron Curtain came down. And buildings that we've built for the glory of God. Go on to the next slide. This is, we have a seminary that we train national church planters. And uh, we do it in partnership with uh, what is called the Brotherhood of Independent Baptist Churches. This, this is that group of over 100 churches all over Ukraine. Do you know that almost all of those churches are new churches that have started since Ukraine became independent. Next slide. This is where our students come from, from all eight regions of Ukraine. And today we have over 300 graduates that are serving God in over 70 cities and towns across Ukraine. Praise God. But we're just one organization. There's many others that are also doing great things. All over Ukraine, people are, have been saved, churches have been established, church buildings have been built, and, and it's, it's, it's been a bountiful, wonderful, fruitful harvest. And it certainly has caught the devil's eye. He doesn't want that to go on. And I believe that since the Iron Curtain came down, there have been more churches planted in Ukraine than in Russia and Eastern Europe all combined. It's a target that. Because of that, I'm convinced it's a target of the devil. He's not happy about this. So, the, so we're, this is a battle with Satan. Putin's just a pawn. The devil is using Putin. While Putin craves more land. When it comes to Satan, he craves the eternal souls of men and women and boys and girls all over the world. 
and the revival and the spiritual harvest that's been gone in Ukraine is something that he wants to war against. And so, because of that war today in Ukraine, thousands are dying. And we're told it could get much, much worse. And while, while we want to win them for, to Christ, Satan wants them to perish in hell. Today, today, people are dying. Soul after soul, they breathe their last breath in Ukraine and they pass on to eternity. And in, 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 a, in a scene far away, we, we can visualize that on the one hand, there's our Savior. And on the other hand, there's, there's the devil, the enemy of our souls. And as each dying soul enters into this arena, Satan cries out with his brimstone breath and his evil sneer. And he calls out to Jesus and he hisses, that soul is mine. Mine. Mine forever. But because somebody somewhere prayed, because somebody here wrote a check, because some Ukrainian missionary put their arm around a quivering shoulder and opened the Word of God and led that soul to Christ. Here's what that audience hears. They hear our Savior saying, Child of God, lift up your head. Your redemption is nigh. Enter into my gates. Friends, the devil... Not going to win that battle. He might win down here. But praise God, we can win people to Christ and win battle after battle with the evil one. Friends, that's what this is about. Yes, we want to provide humanitarian aid to suffering people. We've done that for years. We've sent countless 40-foot containers. And we help orphans and widows and needy children. Yes, we do that. We need to do that. We must do that. We're going to keep doing that. But friends, the most important thing and the most central focus for BEAM is we want to, we want to see souls saved. And this is a great opportunity. I don't know if you know, you know, we have a long name. You know, we always say either Baptist International or BIEM. But the whole name, I bet a lot of you don't know what E&M stands for. We are, most of the time, a lot of times, when somebody introduces us and tries to say the whole name, they usually say Baptist International Evangelical Missions. That's wrong. That's not who we are. What is BIM? It is Baptist International Evangelistic. We've got to win these people to Christ while we have time. The time is running out for many. But we can. This is, where we, this is what we can do. This is what our, our missionaries are doing. We've got a video from one of them, how he pours his heart out. And how he sees his role. And it's our role. It's our role together with these guys we have spread all over Ukraine. This is our job. If we could roll that video. Приветствую вас, наши родные, наши молитвенники, сотрудники миссии БМ. Огромное спасибо вам за то, что вы молитесь о нас. Это ощущается. 
Спасибо вам за любую поддержку, за финансовую. Приветствую вас, Greetings, наши родные, our family, наши молитвенники, сотрудники вам за то, что вы молитесь за Спасибо вам за любую поддержку, особенно за молитвенную, Это тяжелое время для нас всех. И мы здесь во Львове, и мы принимаем беженцев, и мы понимаем, что сегодня Бог открывает новый метод евангелизации. Это те люди, которые просто в ужасе и страхе, которые и здесь, когда мы проводим вечернее богослужение всех, мы молимся о мире в Украине, мы читаем и множество из них говорит, мы еще не читали впервые. И, естественно, я, я был поражен, но я увидел Божью руку, доколе они у нас в руках. И Невероятное делает их сердца. просто плачут, рыдают, потому что говорят, мы здесь нашли покой. Мы здесь такие люди. Здесь такие люди. Божьи люди, служат вам. Потому что Бог нам дает. И главное, Он дал нам прощение. И если не будет жизни, то нам прощение. В таком шоке. We'll have life forever with him. And these people are in shock. And they see their life anew. And they have peace now. And I really believe a lot of these will just pass through that wherever they go, they're going to continue to walk with Christ. They're going to end up in God's churches. I believe this. Thank you very much for your help. Thank you for your prayers. Our neighbors are starting to help. We're sharing the gospel with them. And we know there's going to be fruit from this as well. Невероятно что-то делает в их жизни. Я верю, что это прикосновение, которое имеет церковь к нашим соседям. А вот так не останется. Будет плод. Вы делаете огромную работу. Спасибо вам, что у нас есть. Я не знаю, как еще. Я благодарю Бога за то, что вы нас не оставляете. Спасибо вам еще раз. He goes on to kind of show some of the, the scenes. But friends, what an opportunity. This, this is where we come in. This is where we can do something. We can pray. We can give. We can, we can encourage others to meet this need. Do you realize? That this might be the greatest opportunity, the greatest 
opportunity we've ever had in our lifetimes to win souls for Christ. When the Iron Curtain came down, people were hungry for the Word of God. They accepted Christ in droves in the beginning. But then, as materialism and worldliness crept in, that slowed down and it cooled off. But now, because of the war, there's a whole new openness. Among our churches that you saw on those maps and across all these churches across Ukraine that are preaching the Word of God. In every home of every church member who's got a basement, every church basement is a bomb shelter. But it's not only a bomb shelter, it's a revival meeting. Folks aren't only being given food to eat and a place to sleep, but they get on their knees and they pray. They're ready to pray now. They weren't before. They're ready to listen to the Word of God now. They were not before. But best of all, their hearts are open. And as you heard Yura say, with tears, they eagerly receive Christ and accept Him in their hearts. And so, friends, uh, this could well be the most significant, significant event of our lives. There's been some significant events that we all remember. This might be the topper of them all. But it's also an amazing opportunity to win battles for Christ. Today, as 40 million Ukrainians are in peril, this may be the greatest need you've ever heard of. It may be the greatest opportunity to proclaim Christ and deal the devil a blow. This may be the greatest chance we've ever had to make a difference. Wouldn't it be wonderful? Wouldn't it be wonderful if our lives were, after our lives were over, and we along with God's children are looking back at these times from over the bannerments of heaven, that we could look back to this time and be able to say that when our generation faced their greatest test, that when we were presented with our greatest challenge, that when we, had, when we saw the greatest need we could ever imagine, that when we had the chance to strike the devil's plan a mighty blow, that we did not miss. That when we stepped up to the plate at life's most important moment, that was the time we mustered forth our greatest effort for Christ. That was the time we prayed the hardest. That was the time when we shined the light of Jesus the brightest. That was the time when we wrote our biggest checks. That was the time when we proclaimed God's word the loudest. That was the time our generation stood tall. Let's go to the plate. Can we say with the Apostle Paul, I am debtor. We're a debtor to the lost. Ukrainians and all peoples of all nations were debtors. He also said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And then he also said, I am ready to preach the gospel. Friends, we have a wonderful opportunity before us. And you folks in this church has over many, many years done so much for the Lord's work. I know. I know you, your hearts are touched. I know you're not going to miss. Beam is not going to miss. We're going to be stretched. We're, we're sending finances. We're sending humanitarian aid. We're going to be evacuating refugees. And when it comes to making supplies go in after things get worse, there's going to be risk in this. But 
This is where God put us. This is our opportunity to be of useful service to God. Pray for us and pray for Ukraine. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank Thee that Your Word will always prevail, that no matter what, when the final events unfold, the devil has lost Ukraine. And in fact, because of the devil's wicked ways, more came to Christ than we can ever imagine. Help us to do our part. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.